0: Heavenly Father, we come before you right now asking, O God, that you would come to us this morning and deliver us like you came to the children of Israel. You came to them in their bondage, O God. You came to them when their backs were down and they were sorely pressed, O Father God, to make bricks with no straw. Father God, you came to them with a message of hope telling them that you were going to set them free. Oh, Father God, we remind you that you sent your son who stood up on a Sabbath day and read in the hearing of the people that the spirit of the Lord was upon him, set at liberty those who were captive. Do that again this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our sermon today is entitled, Counting the Cost of Accounting to God. Counting the Cost of Accounting to God. You see, in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, we find Jesus turning to address the great multitudes following him. He's at the height of his popularity, and he begins to do something that absolutely would make no sense to any of today's politicians or political activists or evangelists or entertainment personalities, or even their publicists. Jesus, like I said, at the height of his popularity, begins to cull the herd. You see, Jesus begins to thin the crowd. He begins the process of separating the pretenders of the faith, say that with me, pretenders of the faith, from the contenders for the faith. You see, even right now, and I don't know who's who, but God knows who's who. There are some that are sitting here that are pretenders of the faith. And then there are some sitting here that are contending for the faith. Come on. Now, you know Jesus said that the wheat and tares will grow together, that the sheeps and goats will not be separated to the last day. You know that in the scriptures it says that in every house there are vessels, some to honor, some of gold for honor, and some of wood for dishonor. Choose ye which one you will be. Hmm? He wasn't saying that to the world. He was saying that to the church. Not everybody talking. Not everybody talking about heaven is going there. That's that's really how it goes down, huh? So Jesus begins to call the herd, and he does this by going into a concise and powerful discourse about counting the cost of choosing to follow him. you need to understand this morning that God is an exacting counter by our standards. God, the God that we serve is obsessed with counting. Oh, make no mistake about it. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost count everything. It says in Psalms 147 verses 2 and 4, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcast of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and Finds up their wounds, he counts the number of stars and calls them all by name. God is an exact counter. He's an obsessed counter. Now you know with the naked eye in the sky on a clear night up in the mountains away from the pollution, no light, no light pollution, you can see about 3,000 stars. But with telescopes, in the advance of science, scientists now have estimated, well, in the past, past uh, decades or so, they have estimated that they were 10, let me make sure I got this right, 10 to the 21st power stars in the universe. 10 to the 21st power. Now, if you are just an average mathematician like me, that sounds impressive, but you really can't grasp that. Let me, let me, let me see if I can help you and make this a little more graspable for you so you can kind of get the amount of stars that is 10 to the 21st power. They estimate that all the grains of sand on the earth's seashores is 10 to the 25th power. That's a lot of stars and a lot of sand. But just as recently, God's has a counter, but just as recently as January this year, a new Yale and Harvard study on the heavens totally threw that number out of joint because they discovered that they are at least three times more stars in the galaxy than what they thought there was before. What does that mean? It means that instead of 106 trillion estimated stars, come on now, let me say that again. Instead of 106 trillion estimated stars, they are now 306 trillion estimated stars in the universe. And that's only the ones that they think they can see. God counts all the stars, and not only that, he calls them all by name. He's a counter. That's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. Not only that, not only that, but oh, if you're trying to picture what six trillion, one 300, six trillion would look like, that would be a three with 23 zeros behind it. You do the math. You count that out. Count how many jelly beans are in that jar. Jesus again in Luke 12, 7, teaching the people not to fear those who can kill the body, but to fear him, to fear God, who can destroy both the body and the soul, told the people that even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Huh? Now, that may not seem like that's not very impressive if you look at Martin or Elder Exeminis, or Elder Butler, or Robert. But if you look at anybody else, Don, I got to call y'all out. Where you at? Where you at? Come on. But if you call out anybody else, that can be a pretty impressive feat. But uh, you got to understand that God, God not only knows the total number of hairs on your head, but he knows each individual strand. What does that mean? That means that when you comb your hair in the morning, with a brush or with a comb or if you're done maybe a rag and some brill cream when you comb your hair in the morning and you pass your comb through your head and you see those strands god can look at your comb and god can say that's hair strand 47 295 344 556 and 608 god took the time to count god is a counter That's what the parable of the five, the two, and the one talent is all about. In the telling and teaching of that parable, Jesus is trying to impress upon our wandering minds that one day we are each going to have to individually, each of us are going to individually be called before an exact counting Godhead for an audit, a discussion, a review, an examination, a going over the records of our stewardship i.e. our ability to manage God's goods. Don't go getting, don't go getting squirming It's Oh, it's a stewardship, sir. Oh, it's a stewardship. Because I'm about to tell you how God's going to set you free this morning. You see, far too many people have a wrong and distorted view of biblical stewardship and what it really encompasses. The skeptical mind often thinks of stewardship as a slick, Semi-sanctified scam run by churches to get members, to get money from its members. Come on now, can I be real? Because sometimes we have thought that. Huh? Oh, they preach in starship. Oh, it's the building fund. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's, it's that. And for those that believe, far too many view it as a magical formula that allows its believers to deny mathematical realities and common sense principles of living within your budget. You know what they do. They quote Malachi 3, verses 8 through 12, the same way a young child would say abracadabra or hocus-pocus just before performing their card trick at school before their friends. These are the church members that get mad at God because they consistently live above their means, give a faithful tithe, and yet still struggle to barely hang on. Am I talking to somebody, anybody? Is, Is this thing on? They've tried all the so called giving formulas, 10 and 10, 10 and 5, and yet they've never experienced life in the abundant overflow vein. You see, biblical stewardship in a nutshell is to recognize that all things belong to God, i.e., that is your time, talent, abilities, relationships, opportunities, etc. Everything. The moment that you and I are existing, that breath, it's all God's. It's all God's. God doesn't want just your money. It's his money anyway. But we're going to have to get an account on what we've done. Between the dash. Pastor Richardson preached a sermon one time. I never forgot it, talking about when you go to the graveyard and a whole person's life is summed up on a tombstone. Date of birth, date of departure. But what went on in between the dash? Because God already knows when you come in and he already is assigned a the day when you're going. You just don't know. <laughs> but God knows. Your departure never takes God by surprise. It takes you and your family by surprise. Matter of fact, when we depart, we will be the last to know. Because you'll just know something's wrong and it's all over. And then you got no thoughts. You wake up and God is telling you all about it. <laughs> you'll be the last to know. But what goes on in between the dash, that's what God's going to ask you about. It's all God's. It's all God's. Counting and assessing, when you realize that everything that you have, every moment that you have, it's all God's, then real stewardship is the counting and assessing of all of those factors and the potential possibilities of what wise choices can bring the greatest glory to God's name as his will is worked out in your life. God's going to sit there and say, I gave you the potential to be here and to be this for me. You could have been another Paul. You could have been another Peter. But instead you were inmate 77553. huh? God's going to say, I gave you the potential to be this individual. You could have been another MLK greater. You could have been a Moses. But instead you was the guy that had Five women pregnant in the same building. You're going to have to give an account. We're going to have to give an account and understand God, we already have established, is an exact encounter. Real view. God views real stewardship from a much different vantage point than we do. See, we tend to think of stewardship as mainly about giving. But God says stewardship is really about living. Did you catch that? We think stewardship is just about digging into our pocket and giving a little bit of money. But God says stewardship, is not stewardship. That is not the Stewardship is about living and managing the opportunities that I give you to spread my name and make it known and glorified. That's what real stewardship is. You have a voice. You can sing. You can blow. But you're singing in clubs. That's not stewardship. Hmm? Oh, yeah, you got your Grammys. (laughs) You know, you are an American Idol. You blew up. You're doing it. You're living it. But you see your Grammys? They're getting washed away by the tsunami. (laughs) And the Bentley that you was rapping about, washed away by the tsunami. What did you do? Only what you do for Jesus is going to last. That's what stewardship is. It's about living in a way that will glorify God. The church doesn't need any more consecrated philanthropists who occasionally put in a few dollars here and there. What is needed is a disciplined priesthood of theocentric souls who shall be tools and channels of the Spirit of God. Did you catch that? Disciplined. Disciplined. Tools. The reality is that like the world in general, we in the body of Christ have been caught up in the pursuit of stuff. That's what occupies our time. Many of us are going to school, and the school is a great thing. Perhaps more of us should be going to school, but what is the reason? For many of us, is to make more money. Stuff. And and God understands because we live in both worlds as a Christian. We live in a spiritual world and in the material world. But you need to understand that money is just a tool, a means to acquire the things you need in this life to live. That's all it should be. But if you keep chasing stuff and understand that everything in this world really is the devil stuff, and I'm not going to lie to you, the devil has got some nice stuff. (laughs) Come on now. Let's be honest. The devil's stuff is nice. Why is the devil going to come and tempt you and try to get your soul with some junk? He's going to bring nice stuff. He shines it up. It looks good. The devil's stuff is good. Huh? And if we're honest, even even Paul in the book of Acts, he said, man, the pleasures of sin, Moses turned away the pleasures of sin for a season. Sin is pleasurable for a season. But if you keep chasing the devil's stuff, eventually you're going to be dancing to his tomb. How's that dance working out for you right now? Hmm? You ever notice that when you chase the devil's stuff, you never quite catch it? It always seems like it's going to elude you. Huh? that person that wants to be an R&B singer, and it seems like it's always, eh, what happened to the contract, man? Well, it didn't quite work out, that producer, blah, blah, blah. Oh, What, what, what happened to the acting thing? Oh, man, it, well, you know, it, it, yeah. Um, I got called back three times, but then the role went to someone, you know, because the devil will always give you, get you close enough to make you think you can catch it, to make you think you can snatch that ring. That's how he keeps you, keeps you going. He ain't going to let you catch that because you might catch that and realize it's nothing and go back to God. But it's while you're pursuing, while you're pursuing. And the pursuit many times is the greatest aphrodisiac. That's the drug. That is the drug. A lot of brothers, we lose interest in a woman once we catch her. It's the chasing her down. That's the exciting part. And more women understood that. They wouldn't allow themselves to get caught. (laughs) Come on. Hmm? It's the chase. It's the chase. So a lot of us are in bondage to debt. Many of us this morning are hounded by creditors trying to get their money, and it's their money. Because if we had our money, we wouldn't be in debt. Hmm? Come on, the state. And the country and nations are living on borrowed money. So I know you and I are living on borrowed money. Plastic. Hmm? And you're bound to debt. And so we come to church and we go, boy, if I had. You never heard these conversations. These even come out of my lips. Preaching to myself. Boy, if I had some means, boy, this this building would have been built already. Oh, if we only had. If I hit the lottery, well, you know I'm going to pay my tithe. You know, yeah, I'ma collect it. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm gonna. God, God got a sense of humor. He took the devil's money and gave it back. You know, you know how we say them things, huh? Come on, but if you're not paying your tithe now, don't think you're gonna pay your tithe even with the devil's money. God'll be chasing you down like the creditors are chasing you down right now. Well, you know, God don't want that money anyway. You know, and blah 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 blah. Hmm. You are hounded, and you are bound by debt. You can't do the good that you say you want to do because you are bound by debt. God came to set us free, but you are bound. You and I are bound by debt. How do we get out of this? Well, first of all, let me be honest with you. Unless God supernaturally intervenes and blesses you with a windfall from somewhere unexpected, there is no easy way out. You praying at night and not answering your phone is not going to make, you know how you do, Uh, that's the creditor, come on, I do the same thing, come on, huh? Huh? He you know here. Why you keep calling? He you know here. Told you it's the wrong number. You know call no more. You know, you Anthony. You know call He no here. Why you keep a calling? But praying about it is not gonna make it lift up. There is no easy way. I'm crying about it, God hears your tears. But you know why God doesn't just make it go away right away? Because if He did, you and I would learn nothing, and in time, we would be back with it again. You know what rich people say? Rich people say that even if the government was to redistribute wealth, that within 10 years, the wealthy would have all their money back again, and the poor would be poor again. Because it's, the, it's, it's a mindset, but it's not only a mindset. It is common sense. It's principles. It's you could make an incredible amount of money and be broke if you live consistently above your means. I was watching a thing on a Biography Channel the other night on Michael Jackson. Michael was making unreal amounts of money, but Michael had money issues. They were real. And you know how we do as, as as African as people in the family. We go, Michael ain't broke. Michael got all, Michael was broke. Michael had the best move that happened to Michael is Michael died. He's making more money now. <laughs> it's a thriller, but it's a killer at the same time. This one man got a, got all of Michael's personal stuff that was in a storehouse. He's a record guy, a, a guitar dude, and uh, the Jacksons got their guitars made by this guy. In, I think Louisiana or something like that, New Orleans, somewhere down there. They love this guy's guitars. His company was struggling, and the Jacksons heard about it, and they came in and they were going to buy it for, I think, what was it, Terry? I don't remember, like 10 million or something like that. They made their first payment of 200 and something thousand. First payment, and it was all the family, it was the whole family. Made their first payment, boom, no problem. He said the second payment, late. He had to keep calling them up and calling them up and calling them up. Then he had to take them to court. The court, Jackson's, and they spent more money fighting the thing than if they just went ahead and bought the company outright. Then he had to get detectives to find out where they had stuff of value, and that's when he found that little warehouse that they had. Some of you might have heard about it on the news a few years back, but it had all their personal stuff. He had letters to Liz Taylor, old Jackson 5 stuff, uh, Grammys and all of them, and that's what he got. And he was just walking through saying, it's all mine now. He said, oh, yeah, and then Michael spent more money Trying to get it back because he didn't want the stuff to get out. And the guy just said, You know, if he'd have just just paid me a hundred grand, I'd have settled. See, when we try to play the devil's game, hmm, the devil will destroy you with debt. And then you start doing shady stuff, crooked stuff. We start robbing God. Come on. Not stealing from God, robbing from God. There's a difference between stealing and robbing. Do you know what the legal definition of robbery is? Stealing is when you leave and you go out, you come in the building and somebody takes your car and took it. But you never saw the person. Robbery is when they come right up in your face and they say, give me your phone, give me your wallet. It's when you come. That's why God says, will a man rob God? You come into my house. It's like a home invasion, and some of us have been doing it every seven days. Where are we going? Going to do a home invasion, and I ain't wearing a mask. And then we say, it's because God knows I'm broke. You want to get out of debt? Do you want to get out of debt? You do know that uh, it's the squeaky wheel that gets the oil, right? Okay, so, you know, it's like you were saying earlier. We got to start expressing ourselves. Somebody came in here, Ted McMahon walked in here with that million-dollar check. Who wants a 1000000 te- I do. I do. People jumping up and down. The- Prices right. We'd be wearing goofy hats. We're in the house of God, and we go, you want to get out of debt? We don't even want to admit we're in debt. My name is Anthony Drummond, and I am in debt up to my eyeballs. But I'm getting out. I'm getting out. You see, God wants to make sure that we don't get entangled again. So for most of us, the way out is a long, hard, but tried and proven process of counting and considering. Say, say that with me. Counting and considering. You see, in Jesus' discourse, he said those words. He said, what man goes to build the tower and doesn't first count the cost? Now, we might laugh at that man, but lo, that man could be us. How many people have driven by this property on Indian and Irish and said, they've been there about seven years now. When is anything going to change? They got that building, that one little building out there, but I don't see nothing going on. Mmm. Yeah, I said it. I said it. Because until we get real with it, God can't get real with us. We want God to just bless us collectively, corporately. But don't you know that God wants to just not bless us corporately? But he says that the way to corporate blessing is let me bless you each individually. Then when you come together, if you're blessed and I'm blessed and you're blessed and you're blessed and I'm blessed and you're blessed and you're blessed, and you're blessed then when we come together, it's a Super Bowl of blessing. Yes. But if we're all in bondage, then all we are is one big black sinkhole of bondage. God says, I want to bless you, I want to free you but it's not going to be through magic it's through process counting and considering point one you might want to write this down one. consider the cost and fallout of forgetting Psalms 24 verse 1 consider the cost and the fallout of forgetting Psalms 24 verse 1 you know what it says in Psalms 24 verse 1 does anybody know? It says the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness and the world and those who dwell therein. Everything is God's. you got to start there. That's your foundation. Everything is God's. You see, when you forget that everything is the Lord's, you will also forget Haggai 2 and 8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, our money belongs to God. You see, that's the problem. Too many of us been thinking that our money is our money. We've been listening to that commercial where them guys hang out the window and go, it's my money and I want to use it now. <laughs> but that's a bad commercial because it's not your money. It's God's money. When you forget that, when you forget Psalms 24:21, you will also forget Deuteronomy 8:18, 8, which says that God gives us the power to obtain wealth. You will also forget 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2, which states that we are simply stewards of his money and other divine mysteries. When you forget Psalms 24:21, that the earth is the Lord's all in all its fullness in the world and those who dwell therein, then you will also forget Haggai 1 verses 5 through 10. And when you forget that one, you're setting yourself up to get hit by heaven's bus. Because when you forget, when you forget that, then you forget to honor God instead of honoring yourselves. And when you do that, and claim that you're his child, I know the world does that, but the world doesn't claim to be his children. But when you do that and claim to be his child, you will earn yourselves, we will earn ourselves a trip to our heavenly father's fiscal woodshed where the flow of heaven's fiscal fountain of blessings is either severely crimped or completely shut off. When you forget that, God says, oh, you know what? (laughs) Let me remind them who's, who's who here. And so you make 200 but your bills are 400 You thought you had that job, but all of a sudden that job went to somebody else, or your hours got cut. God says he'll start doing things. He'll start doing things to get your attention. Oh, you had that big home, and when you came in, and everything was great, and he was making the payments on time, but then you lost your job. And now you're back in an apartment. Setbacks. Detours. Because God is going to remind you and me that it's all about him. When you remember Psalms 24, 24 and 1, then even where you are right now, the first thing that you do is you say, Lord, I'm poor, naked, and blind. I'm tired of struggling with this thing. Lord, would you let me come in to your land? Will you let me come into your encampment? Because I know in your encampment, everybody eats because you are the bread of life. Everybody drinks because you are water of living fountains. Milk and honey flows in your land, Lord. Lord, if you would just come and put your skirt over me and cover my nakedness because I'm tired of struggling like this. Then God begins the process of healing your land. But healing your land, but it ain't gonna happen overnight because he's gonna work with you so that you will never find yourself in that way again. Point two. Remember, I said consider and count. Consider and count. It's counting and considering. Pay God first, then count on him to keep his promise to sustain and bless you. Pay God first is his. We've already established that. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Okay? So when you get paid, render unto God a faithful tithe and offering. Pay God first. Don't worry about SDG&E. Don't worry about the water bill. They haven't done anything for you. And even when you do pay them, you're only good for 30 days. Pay God first and be good for all eternity. Pay God first and count on him to keep his promise to sustain and bless you. Count on Malachi 3, verse 8 and 12. Count on Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. Count on Luke 6, 38 and on 2 Corinthians 9. Six through nine. So you have to remember again that money is just a tool or a means to obtain what we need in this life. But money can also be a destroyer in this life. Do you know how many people how many souls were destroyed for money? The drug trafficking trade and the ensuing drug wars, the white sex slave trade and sex industry and organized crime all exist and thrive because of the love of money. You and I have no idea the amount of lives, money, and the love of it has destroyed. All them little gang wars for drug territory, for the love of money. We are to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. When we as Christians concern ourselves too much with the material world, we are easily drawn in to the deceitfulness of wealth. Come on now. And you and I have said it. We've been sucked in from the pulpit to all the way in the back of the pew. Man, if I just had $10 million, I'd be set. You bought into the lie. The drug is flowing through your veins and it's oozing out through your lips. You've bled and bit into the commercial. Oh, if I just had that, man, I would be set, but Elvis wasn't set, Richard Pryor wasn't set, MJ wasn't set, huh, and we can go on and on and on, Howard Hughes wasn't set, you can just go on and on and on. As a matter of fact, Charlie Sheen, Lindsay Lohan, they're not set. And they got more money. Come on. Money just gives you stuff. But Jesus knew the real deal. The devil came to him and he said, bow down to me and I will give you all of these things. I'll give you kingdoms. And he could do it because this world's system is his. The value system and the mentality, the way it's set up, the way it operates, it's the devil's. He's pulling the string. But Jesus knew that wouldn't make him happy. We got to follow Jesus. Because when we start believing that lie and beholding that lie, then we fall prey to the father of that lion, that's the devil. That's the devil. Consider and counting, consider and counting. Third and last point, consider paying yourself second and paying your bills third. Did you get that? Pay God first. Pay yourself second. Pay your bills third. Let me explain that to you. Too many of us sit there and we pay our bills first. We pay our bills first. Gotta pay the man. Gotta, and we sweating the man. Even before the check comes in, we used to be sweating the man. Well, you know, mortgages do paying the man, paying the man, paying the man. And then you've paid the man, but then you missed a couple payments and the man came and took your car. You missed a couple payments, you've been faithful. Paying a man for years on your home, but you fell three payments behind, and the man came and didn't even bat an eye and served you notice, and thirty or and effective immediately foreclosure proceedings are starting. Paying the man, but you've been robbing God. But look how the man has treated you. Fall three payments behind, and you're afraid to park your car out in the street. Bring it in, close it, close it. God ain't sweating you like that. You've been robbing God forever. That's the man sweating you and you're only three months behind. Pay God first. Then pay yourself. It's not a disease or a shame to save money. I'm talking to myself. We don't have to spend everything that we get. And we're teaching our kids how to be in debt. We get a pay raise. We all got to treat ourselves. Well, I'm going. Where are you going? Going to the mall. I got a raise. Buy, 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 buy. That's materialism. You know that, right? And you want God to bless you with money so you would do what? Do you sit there and go, you know what? God has blessed me. I'm going to take this $21 a month or whatever extra I got. And you know, I could feed a child in South America or in Africa. Never crossed our mind. I'm going to buy me them shoes I've been looking at. We need to get off of the drug. Our whole world banking system is teetering on total collapse. China underwrites. The United States is only afloat. We used to talk about Russia. Well, you know Russia is only a superpower because they got that military. Well, you know what? The United States is only a superpower because they got the military. Our economy is tanked. China owns about a third <laughs> of the, the real estate in America already. They can send all the lead poison toys over here. You, you think Obama or any other president, they ain't going to say nothing. What are you going to say to your banker? They can't say nothing. Pay yourself. Proverbs. Proverbs 6, verses 6 and 8. Go to the ant, O oh sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Proverbs 30, 24 and 25. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are people, not strong, yet they prepare their food in summer. What does that mean, that summer, that summer? I looked that up. You know, in those arid regions such as Judea and the surrounding regions, food and water usually are obtainable for social insects like ants only for a very limited season. These resources, but when available as during the brief summer rainy season or growing season, These resources are present in overwhelming abundance. Now here's the interesting thing about the ants, and this is why God says to consider her, and this is why the psalmist says to consider her uh, with these things. He says, under favorable favorable conditions, surplus food gathered by the colony is fed to repletes for long-term storage. I did not know this, but all ants have the ability to expand their stomach and carry food. That's how they get their food back to the colony. But honey ants in particular can really expand their stomachs and in times of abundance during rainy seasons when new worker bees are born and food is in abundance, whether it's the queen or whatever, a certain signal is put out to the colony now is the time and many of the worker bees that are born become repletes and these repletes have the ability to almost swell up to the point of bursting. And so the other ants go out once these ants are born, food, food, we got a lot of food, let's activate repletes. Instead of just regular workers, the workers start becoming repletes. And then the workers feed the repletes, and the repletes just stay in the colony. They do nothing but get huge, Holding food for as long as whenever. They just hang around, gourded. And then in the winter or whenever the food runs out and the food is needed, They send out a signal, and then one by one, the individual ants go to the replete. The replete regurgitates up the food and sustains its worker. That's what it means when it says, talking about the ants in the summertime. And they have food and harvest. That harvest time is not a seasonal thing. That harvest time is whenever food is short. Do you see what God is trying to tell us as a people? Many of us sit here and we are depending on the Lord to do some abracadabra, hocus pocus. We don't know when our harvest time is going to be or how long it's going to be. You don't know when trouble comes. You don't know when you're going to get laid off. and You don't know how long it's going to take you to find another job. But have you stuck anything aside? Or do you get every dollar you get and you spend it? Paycheck to paycheck. Because as long as we live paycheck to paycheck, as long as we rob God, as long as we think that stewardship is some magical formula that somehow I can spend whatever I want to spend, but if I just scrape up enough to give God his 10-5 or 10-10, and I'm going to be okay. You're going to be disappointed, and you're going to think God's a liar. Stewardship is living and making wise choices with the opportunities God has given us. What has your money done? You know, I said God is an exact encounter. But what where is your money? Where's the monument for your money? Is it sitting in Visa or American Express in their corporate office in their vault, making the fat cats rich? Or is your money out on the battlefield somewhere? helping the kingdom of God, where is the bulk of the money that you and I have earned during the course of our lives tied up at? You know, I had to take a look at myself. And quite frankly, I was ashamed. And I'm so tired of being in God's woodshed that I said, Lord, I just give up. I'm going to totally without hesitation, throw myself on your altar and change my ways. However long it takes. I'm not fronting it. I'm not faking it. I said, I've had it up to here, God. I've had it up to here. We say that we want first-rate ministries, but we can't fund them. So we dream and we get frustrated because our dreams die before they even get off the, the birthing table because we can't Fund them. Do you know what happens when Tyler Perry and Oprah Oprah Winfrey get together and they go, that's a good idea? That becomes a billion-dollar business because they got the money to rub together to say, let's make that good idea a reality. You know what happens, Woody, when you and I go, man, that's an awesome idea for a restaurant. That just sits there as a discussion. And we just go, yep, that would be nice because we don't got two pennies to rub together. God's called us to be more than that. God says he wants us to spiritually be the ant and not the sluggard. you know who the sluggard is as opposed to the ant? The sluggard, it says in Proverbs 30, verses 24 and 25, uh, where is the sluggard? Oh, in contrast to the ant, there's the sluggard found in Proverbs 20, verse 4. And the scriptures say of him, the sluggard does not plow in autumn. He will seek in harvest and have nothing. When the time of fiscal trouble comes, he's got no fallback. He spent everything he had. See, we think it's just about that whole whole analogy is about just being lazy and working. But it's about being lazy. It's about being industrious and wise. The ant is not only industrious, but the ant is wise. You see an ant foraging for food, and you put a roadblock around it. He backs up for a minute, and then what does the ant do? He finds the way he's on. He's on point. He's like, I can't be playing around with you all day, Big Finger, or whatever this is. I don't know what this is. Giant footprint. I don't know what this is. But I got Your bills like, and you know what you will, and then learn to live within your means. Some of us, it's allergic to save. Look, come on now, it's very hard. And when I say put money aside, put it aside and leave it. Don't count that as part of your start. I don't care if it's seventy-five dollars out of your paycheck every paycheck. But you know what will happen? I guarantee. You, if you've done that after a while. Kept it in a savings account, don't touch it. Put it in a jar, don't touch it. After a while, it'll start feeling that will become your drug. And you go, you know what? If I can save 75 from a paycheck, you know what, man? What can I do if I could really start accumulating something? If I could start saving $150 every paycheck. And you get used to it. And you start to live within your means. And then when your trouble comes, you're not stressing Well, you know what? I got about $500 just sitting here. And that's good. Pay God first. Pay yourself second. Pay your bills last and live on a budget. Live within your means. And God will bless you and me. And we then can truly say, free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last.